0: Welcome to In Case You Mythed It, the podcast that explores the myths of the world you probably didn't hear in school. I'm your host, Carl Gage. Today, to inaugurate the first episode of the new format of this podcast, I will tell you the story of the creation of the world as told by the ancient Greek poet Hesiod in the mid-700s BC. This is the first half of of his poem, Theogony, a genealogy of the gods. And now, to begin, a bit of Greek from the beginning to get us started. Heleconiadon, archothen, aidein, aith heleconos, ehiun sin, oros mega, te atheon, te peri, creinen, ioidea, hos, apaloisin, orhiuntai, caibomon, eristen cronionos. Hesiod, like many ancient Greek mythological writers, begins his story by invoking the Muses, the nine goddesses and daughters of Zeus who gave inspiration to artists and singers. In fact, the word music is a reference to them. Hesiod tells us that he was taught to sing by the Muses when he was but a shepherd, and has been ordered by them to tell the story of the gods, beginning with that of the Muses themselves. Nemosine, whose name means memory, was a goddess whom Zeus took an attraction to and he laid with her for nine nights in a row, thus producing the Muses, and the first less-than-consensual encounter that takes place in this narrative. That bell means a being was sexually assaulted. You will hear it again. With that out of the way, Hesiod tells us how, in the beginning, there was nothing but chaos, a formless void of nothingness. Brushing that aside, since it is hard to describe the absence of everything, Hesiod tells us that chaos then produced Gaia, the Earth, and Tartarus, the underworld. While Tartarus is generally a name used to describe the deepest part of the underworld into which bad souls are thrown, it is in fact a catch-all name for that entire plane of existence. Eros, that is, love, came into existence the same way, as did Nyx, the goddess of night feared even by Zeus, and Erebos, the personification of deep, starless darkness. Nyx and Erebos came together and produced Hemera, the day and Aether, the pure air which the gods breathe high above the mortal world. Gaia, the earth, produced Oranos, the sky, who was to be her equal. She then created hills, mountains, and the great sea god Pontus. And then, with Oranos, Gaia gave birth to Okeanos, god of the great river that encircles the earth, and Koios, intellect. Okeanos and Koios were but the first of their god children, followed by Creos, Yapetos, Hyperion, Thea, Rhea. Themis, Mnemosyne, Tethys, Phoebe, and, lastly, the infamous Cronos. But Uranus was not done, and he produced via Gaia the three greater Cyclopes, who had one eye in the middle of their foreheads, then the three Hecatonchires, who each had one hundred arms and one hundred hands, and fifty heads. As soon as each of these six were born, Uranus, hating their ugliness and fearing their strength, forced them deep within Gaia, and sealed them there. And Oranos enjoyed this cruelty. Gaia was angry that her children were being treated in such a manner, so she plotted revenge against Oranos, and crafted a sickle of grey adamant. She brought it to the children that were not trapped, and asked that one of them take the sickle and strike against their cruel father. The children all cowered in fear, all except Cronos, who volunteered out of hatred for Oranos. That night... As Oranos attempted to assault Earth again, Cronos snuck up behind him and castrated him with the sickle, throwing Oranos' genitals into the sea behind him. Where each drop of blood fell, something was created. The Arinues, also called Furies, the strong Giants, and the Meliae, nymphs of ash trees, all sprang forth this way. The genitals themselves landed in the sea and floated for a time, surrounded by sea foam. This sea foam became a girl, Aphrodite, who was known to us as the goddess of love. Uranus was outraged, and called his children by the name Titans, which meant people who reached too far, and swore vengeance upon them for their audacity. From that point, the Titans were in charge, and went and multiplied. Nyx had a habit of asexual reproduction, and gave birth to Doom, Care, the fate of mortals to die, and the twins Thanatos and Hypnos, whom we call Death and Sleep, respectively. She continued, giving birth to the oniroi, the Dreams, followed by personifications of blame, misery, various forms of death, indignation, deceit, sex, and old age, as well as the three fates, called the Moirai, the three Hesperides, and Eris, goddess of strife. Clearly, Nyx does not need a man. Strife went on to have children that include battle, violent death, murder, pain, and work, all of which bring great pain to mortals. Pontus had a son called Nereus, often called the old man of the sea. Nereus then married a goddess named Doris, and together they had fifty daughters, the Nereidsinians. Their names are, here goes, Protho, Eucrante, Sau, Amphitrite, Eudora, Thetis, Glauce, Menipe, Neso, Eupompe, Themisto, Pronoe, and Nemertes. Glad that's over. Thalmas and Electra, no, not that Electra, then have a bunch of children with wings, including the rainbow goddess Iris and the harpies. Forkis and Cato have the gray the gray ones who have one eye and one tooth between the three of them, as well as the three gorgons, here including Medusa. And Hesiod then tells us about how the blood of Medusa, a long time later when Perseus kills her, would create Pegasus, and a man named Chryseor, whose son, Geryon, would be killed by Heracles. But Cato also gave birth to the world's first dragon, called Dracon, and Echidna, the mother of monsters, who was half-beautiful girl and half-giant snake that eats raw flesh in a cave beneath the earth, where she will live forever. Nice. Hesiod tells us that Typhon, the horrible giant snake-dragon-man-thing, had an attraction for Echidna, which was mutual. And they together produce the dog Ortho, then Cerberus, who will later become Hades' guard dog, and in this version has 50 heads instead of 3. Next, the multi-headed Lernaean Hydra, that famously fights Heracles, and finally Chimera, a lion-goat-dragon thing that would fight Bellerophon and Pegasus. Chimera also has two children of her own, the Sphinx, that would go on to thoroughly vex the people of Thebes with her riddles, and the Nemean lion which will be killed by Heracles. We are then told that there are 3,000 children of Okeanos, called the Okeanid nymphs. Though Hesiod mercifully only lists 40 of their names, and I frankly feel more merciful than him, so I will not subject you to myself reading that entire list. Then Thea is, in Hesiod's words, mastered by Hyperion. So I'm going to give that a... As a result, she bears him three children, so... They are Helios the sun, Selene the moon, and Eos the dawn. Eurybiae joins in love with Krios, according to the text, no need for a ding there, and bears Astraos, Pallas, and Perses. Astraios then begets by way of Eos all of the winds and stars visible in the sky, which is impressive. Then Styx, one of those daughters of okeanos and yes, the spirit of the famous river in the underworld, gives birth to Nike, which means victory in Greek and next glory, power, and force, who will all go on to be servants of Zeus. Phoebe and Coios then produced Leto, the eventual mother of Apollo and Artemis. Phoebe then bore Asteria, whom Perseus would later father a child with. This child's name was Hecate. At this point in the narrative, at the end of this massive list of gods giving birth to each other, Hesiod drops everything to launch into a 50-line-long tangent about why Hecate is great. This is both a fascinating aspect of theogony, and a fascinating look at a goddess who is an endless font of inconclusive information. And frankly, Hecate in general deserves to have an episode of her own. Fortunately, I'm working on it, and it'll be coming soon. Let's just summarize it with, Hecate is born, she's awesome, and Hesiod really wants to tell you about it. We now return to your regularly scheduled creation myth, already in progress. The Titanus Rhea is then forcibly impregnated multiple times by her brother Cronos, uh oh, and bears Hestia, then Demeter, then Hera, followed by Hades, the earth shaker and future sea god Poseidon, and lastly a boy called Zeus. But Cronos was a wicked king, and a horrible person in general, and had heard a prophecy from his mother, the Earth, that one of his children would be his downfall, just as he had been the downfall of Oranos. Or at least of his genitals. Being proud and paranoid, Cronos swallowed each one of his children as they were born, in an attempt to prevent the prophecy from coming true. Rhea was, understandably, grief stricken, and during her last pregnancy went and begged her parents, Gaia and Aranos, to hide the birth of this child from Cronos, and to bring about his downfall. They agreed, and told her what fate lay in store for both Cronos and for the unborn Zeus. Then they sent her to the island of Crete, where she bore Zeus in secret, and Gaia hid him in a cave on Mount Aegeum, giving Cronos a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes to swallow. He swallowed it, and Zeus was raised on the island of Crete. When he was at his full strength, he attacked Cronos, forcing him to regurgitate the other children, but first the rock came out, and it fell out of a place in Greece, where you can supposedly go and see it to this day. And so the first half of the Theogony comes to an end, as does this episode of In Case You Mythed It. Tune in two weeks from now for the continuation of the story, wherein the Olympian gods and the Titans meet in a great battle, and the fate of the creation of the world is decided. Also, Zeus proves to be like his father and grandfather in terms of how he treats women.